so I appreciate all those who've uh, asked about my mom, prayed for my mom. Uh, she has a, a condition called atrial fibrillation, and uh, a couple weeks ago, she was supposed to have a procedure called oblation, and I was on my way there. My dad called and said, the doctor had an emergency. We're not going to be able to do the procedure, uh, and I had to decide, and I ended up going on there anyway, and had a good time visiting my mom, told her I'll pray for her uh, from 800 miles away. When it happened, it happened this week, and everything went well. It takes a little time to see if it uh, took, uh, if you will, uh, but it will hopefully pray for that, uh, that she's better. And I thank you for your prayers. Many of you have asked and, uh, about her and prayed for her, and I thank you for that. But down there, <clears throat> we went to dinner, uh, my brother, my mom, and my dad, one, one night before I came back, and we went to a place called Loretta's. Now, I will tell you, I've never known a place named after a person that was bad to eat. And a lot of places down south, they're, they're named after uh, ladies that uh, I think grew up to be good cooks. And then they said, I'll start a restaurant. And this Loretta's, man, I've never been before, but I'll be back when I go down to visit my parents. It's one of those places where you go and, and there's a line and you go by. It's kind of a cafeteria style and you look and see what's good and you pick something out. Put it on your plate. And I'll tell you, they had some cornbread. Down south, we, we have this saying, they had some cornbread that was so good, you want to slap your mama. I don't know if you ever heard that saying. It doesn't make any sense, really. You know, my mother was sitting across the table from me. I said, Mama, you better back up. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. But what you see there at that cafeteria is, is everybody gets to pick. It, it, it solves that problem you've had at your table, probably, if you have kids or you've been around kids, you put something down on the table, and they go, oh, I, I'm not eating that. Yes, you are. And then you have that battle, right? And they sit there for like, when I was a kid, I would sit there for an hour looking at that plate. I'm not going to eat it, right? Well, a cafeteria, you get to pick what you want. You, if you want some okra, you can get some okra. If you want some uh, Brussels sprouts, you can get some Brussels sprouts. If you want some cornbread, you can get some cornbread. But if you don't want it, you can say no. Well, in the Bible, sometimes we bring that cafeteria approach. Sometimes, I think, internally, if we don't say it externally, we think there are some words I don't want to look at. There are some words I don't want in my life. But all the words in red, all the words that Jesus said, I think are for us to put into practice in our life. All his words... We're not to pick and choose from. We're not to choose which ones are optional. It's not like a cafeteria where we get to choose the ones we want, the ones we want to have in our life, and the ones we don't, we get to pass on. We get to leave in the tray. No, that's not the way it works. The words perhaps we most would like to leave on the plate are found in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6. Now, I will tell you, I'm human just like you. I've, I've had these same thoughts. Man, I wish those words weren't in there. But wishing and doing are two different things. And it would be to our advantage, to our benefit, I think, for me and for you to do our best to hear all the words of Jesus and to seek to emulate him, to seek to be like him, to seek to put into practice his ways his ways are not the ways of the world. His ways are not our ways, but his ways are the best ways. In Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27, it says this. 
But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you respect, expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. When he says sinners there, he's talking about people who don't know God, people who are ungodly. Uh, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Hard words, maybe not to understand with our heads, but to put into practice in our lives. Love your enemies. And he repeats it twice. The way you love them is you do good to them. And then if that's not enough, he gives examples of of going over and above. (laughs) He's serious about that. And when we see Jesus living in his life, those three years we have recorded in the Gospels, we see him doing this very thing. And so he expects us, he wants us to, to join with him in that journey of going on the road less traveled, the way of of loving people who have been not so good to us, uh, loving people who perhaps have made themselves hostile to us, who have le- hurt us, who have let us down. So to unpack this, because I don't think these words are optional, to unpack what it means to love your enemies, I have three questions to ask. First, why should we? <laughs> why should we love our enemies? You know, I'm a person who, who likes to rationalize and think about things. Why? What, what benefit is it for me to love my enemies? Other than the obvious one that God wants me to, what benefit? The first is you'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded. He says there in verse 35, but love your enemies. <clears throat> love your enemies and, <clears throat> excuse me, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. The words there he gives us, you'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded both for eternity. I think God knows and the Bible says that he keeps a record of how we live. It's written down in the book of life. Our actions are known by God. And for every time, I think, uh, as we grow into the habit of not seeking justice, of not seeking vengeance the way the world does, and every time that we ourselves show grace and mercy, every time we ourselves show love when we're not expected to, God takes note of that and he, he rewards us for that. I don't know exactly what form that reward will take 
but I do know the scripture says that, that, that we will receive what is just in heaven. But I think the reward is not just uh, this long, far-reaching, eternal reward in heaven. I, I think our reward also is short-term. I think we learn and experience, release ourselves when we move past hurts, when we move past wrongs people have done to us. <laughs> it's not a good place to have that kind of bitterness and, and hatred in your heart toward a person. Whenever you think about that person, they, that, that it makes you mad, it makes you angry, it makes you bitter. That's not good. So if we can move past uh, seeking revenge, if we, we can move to loving our enemies, then it has psychic rewards for us. It, it benefits our well-being and our health. It benefits our attitude and the way we look at life. He says, love your enemies and you will be rewarded. But also, the other reason I think is also in verse 35, you reflect the Father when you love your enemies. Do you know each of us at one time were an enemy to God? When we choose to do what God doesn't want us to do or, or when we don't choose to do the things God asks us to do, the Bible calls those sin. And sin makes us an enemy of God. Now, thankfully, the scripture gives us uh, the plan of, of salvation, a plan of, of reconciliation that we can know that if we confess our sins and we repent of our sins, if we come and give our lives to Christ, we believe in him as the son of God, the, the Messiah, and, and we're baptized into him, the Bible says that we receive the forgiveness for our sins. And we, in other words, we're enemies no more of God. So God showed us that is his way, the way of forgiveness, the way of taking enmity, the, the enemies, and making them friends again, making them family again. So if we take God at his word and we seek to love our enemies, then, then we're showing, we're reflecting him. We're showing our spiritual DNA to those folks. Why should we love our enemies? Because God shows us that and because we never look more like him than when we forgive and love those who come against us. I've said that several times the last few weeks. I'll repeat it again. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive people who you have the right to be angry with. You have the right to be wronged by. You will be <laughs> rewarded. You'll reflect the Father. So why should we? That answers that. Who then are our enemies? You might think uh, immediately the people in Iran, the people or at least the governments of North Korea. It's very easy for us uh, to kind of collectively not like people that are, are far away, that, that threaten our country. But I would suggest to you that this is more personal. I would suggest to you it's, it's more nearly focused than that. Jesus said himself in Matthew 10, 36, that people in your own household will come against you. And the reality of life is that, isn't it? That sometimes, even though the same blood runs through our veins, we can get crossways of our parents. We can get estranged from our children. 
They can do things that make our blood boil. And we can get to where we are pretty much hostile to one another. Certainly at our workplace, there are people there we don't like, probably. People there who have taken advantage of us. Maybe even in church, your past church that you've been a part of, or, or maybe even here, there are people uh, whom you just don't get along well with. See, I would suggest we not think so far. It's very easy to think of Saddam Hussein or Hosama bin Laden as, as our enemy, but I think we need to think about those people in our homes, those people in our work, those, those people maybe even in our church. And so we need to, I think, have those people in mind as we think about this scripture. Who are our enemies? They're the people that, that bring us kind of a, a, a sick feeling to our stomach. They're the people who, who make us angry when we think of them. Who, who may, we, may, we think angry, angrily of what they've done to us or about us. Who are our enemies? We're to love them. We're to do good to them. Third question is this, maybe you're ready for that now. How do we love them? God tells us to love your enemies. How do we do that? I think both in this scripture and from other places in the Bible, I have several suggestions for you. First, forgive them. Forgive them. I've talked a lot about forgiveness the last few weeks. I don't want to belabor that. But I'm saying to you, any kind of relationship you have with people that have antagonized you or, or done things to you. It, it needs to begin with forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Letting go of the past. Letting go of, of those past wrongs. Moving forward into the future. We need, we need to get to that point with that person who angers us to where we forgive them first. Then the second thing I would say to you is don't avoid them. <laughs> Don't avoid them. What is it we do when people we kind of had a hard time with, their number comes up on our caller ID, and we push ignore, right? Hey, we walking down the street, and we see them coming the other way. We turn around, right? Their email comes to us, and we shift it to the spam box. We unfriend them on Facebook. Don't avoid them. I would suggest to you that part of loving your enemies, it, it needs not just that negative, uh, that negative teaching of don't avoid them, but also I would encourage you to, to continue to communicate, to continue to have contact. Hard to love somebody you never talk to, isn't it? What saddens me sometimes, I know of families where different ones, children or parents haven't spoken in years, if not decades. There can be no love. There can be no possible reconciliation without communication, without contact. Now, I say possible reconciliation. I said last week, and I very much believe this, that you, your part is forgiveness. Your part is working toward 
where you can forgive somebody. Reconciliation may or may not happen along with forgiveness because reconciliation takes two. It takes two to equally confess and repent and, and to make peace with one another. It takes two to have a relationship with one another. You might try to initiate contact with somebody who is your enemy. You might try to communicate with them and they re reject that. You can't do anything about that. But your part is seeking, is making that first move. It's seeking to communicate. It's see seeking to contact. It's certainly not avoiding them. Third, we love them by doing good to them. Jesus is dead serious about that. He says it two times in this little passage. And it, just after he says, love your enemies, he says, do good to them. Verse 27, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And then down to verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be the children, uh, be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Jesus gives some illustrations after verse 27. He says that if you're walking down the road and somebody asks for your cloak, you give them your tunic as well. Somebody asks you to walk one mile, then you walk an extra mile. You go the extra mile as well. Doing good is expending ourselves, sacrificing ourselves on behalf of others. Do good to them. It has this very uh, sense of action. It's not only in our minds forgiving and loving, but also showing that not just with our words, but with our deeds. Do good to them. Actively seek to benefit them. That's difficult teaching, isn't it? But God does that for us. He freely gives to us whether we accept him or not, whether we believe in him or not. Some of you who perhaps have come to faith later in life or, or gotten serious about your faith later in life, you could tell us how God blessed you before you ever came to faith. God bought you, brought you blessings even before you grew in faith. Him, It wasn't conditional. God's blessing materially wasn't conditional on whether you did or did not believe, whether you lived or did not live by faith. See, this is the thing that we understand that loving our enemies needs to be not just in word, but indeed do good to them. Fourth, don't speak badly of them. Don't speak badly of them. Verse 28 says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. <laughs> How hard is that? Blessing, positive speech of those who have hurt you, those who've been your enemies. But at least don't speak evil of them. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue can speak either good words or bad words. Let me tell you something. The, the reason some of us have problems forgiving people is we can't keep talking about what they did wrong to us. We're so busy talking about and rehashing and what went on with us, maybe commiserating with others, that, that we can't move to that point of forgiveness. It's important to have our tongues 
still if God is working in our lives. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so oftentimes, I think it takes some not using that mouth to let God work on the heart. And then God can bring even love for enemies. That fifth step we just read, verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for them. Pray for them, not just for God to forgive them, but pray, lift them before the Father. Ask Him to bless them. Ask Him to bring His good in their lives. <laughs> Ask for ways that you can do good to them. Difficult teaching, but, but freeing it is. And then lastly, I would say something that maybe will surprise you. I, I would thank God for them. I would thank God for those people who you would regard maybe as your enemies. Why? Because they sharpen you. They force you to deal with your flesh. They force you to move beyond being a person who is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. They force you to grow spiritually. It's just like our trials. Our trials bring us opportunity for growth. You can have no refinement without fire. And so also, those people that come against us, those people that challenge us, they can stimulate growth. They can stimulate the good of God for us to turn not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. For us to grow as people of the Spirit takes antagonism. It takes hostility. It takes people we might regard as our enemies. What a great step if we can make progress in loving people who don't deserve our love. But we love them because of Jesus inside of us. We love them because we are being merciful as the Father. We're reflecting the Father who is merciful. It's instructive to think about what Joseph said of his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. He says, you intended to harm me. You remember what his brothers did? They buried him because they were jealous of him. They buried him in a deep pit. And then they sold him into slavery. Their own brother. They gave up. They got cash for him and, the, and they, they gave him up to be a slave. Well, Joseph ends up saving them because there's a famine in Israel. And Joseph's in a position of influence in Egypt. And he ends up taking in his brothers. And he says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. <laughs> this antagonism. Folks forcing us to grow spiritually is good not just for us, but it can bring a great benefit to others. You think about this. In your life, perhaps you've come to this point and, and the people around you well know who you're who you don't get along with. But it's your workplace. If you take that person who's kind of like your foil and you love them, you don't speak evil of them, you seek to communicate with them and, and do good to them, what kind of impact is that going to have on all the other people watching you? 
powerful. And what often happens is, as we initiate loving others, as we initiate doing good to them, as we initiate going the extra mile, then it's contagious. And I've seen many, many stories of reconciliation, many, many stories of people who once were far off, who once were enemies, who became close because one of the parties decided to love that person instead of hate the other. That's what can happen in our lives. But it takes that commitment to love them even if it doesn't bring reconciliation, to love them even if good doesn't come back. You see, I'm not telling you to do this guaranteeing you that reconciliation will happen. But I'm, I am telling you, the Father will be pleased and you will be rewarded if you will take seriously these words and love your enemies. Martin Luther King was not just a reverend by title. He preached for many years. He wasn't just an activist. <clears throat> In 1957, he preached on loving your enemies at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. I've read that sermon. As he came to the end of it, he said this, and I quote, there's a little tree planted on a little hill, and on that tree hangs the most influential person who ever came into this world. In the cross of Christ, the love of God is broken through into human history. Now we know what love truly looks like. In a world filled with hatred, distrust, bitterness, pain, mistreatment, and abuse. As the hymn writer said, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love will mingle down. Talking about the embodiment of love, Jesus on the cross. For we who sin against God. It is a message from God, Jesus on the cross, that love is the only way. It's the only way to heaven, and it's the only way to live on the earth. Listen to this. If we believe in Jesus at all, we must say to our enemies, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. I repeat. If we say we believe in Jesus at all, we must say to our enemies, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. When Jesus walks with us, we find the strength to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. I don't think you can do this in the flesh. Now I'm talking, not quote him anymore. I don't think you can do what I'm suggesting, what God commands us to do. I don't think you can do it without supernatural help, supernatural intervention. But I know this, God doesn't ask us to do something that is impossible. He would not ask us to love our enemies if he would not commit to us resources to help us do that. Let me say today, as we come to the close of this series of true forgiveness, I'm grateful for the many, many expressions of, of gratitude the expressions of also, uh, man, I don't want to hear this stuff, but man, you've been preaching it to us. Thank you for the many comments. 
But I want to thank you for taking seriously God's teaching on forgiveness and, and seeking to apply it in your life. I think it is a crossroads. If you can move in your life to forgiving others, then the freedom, the liberation can be life-changing. Somebody in our church, after one sermon, sent me this. They'd had a problem with another person, and and together they had a, a, a reconciliation and a, a ceremony, a, symbol, a symbolic of forgiveness. And they wrote a poem that they shared with me, and I asked them, and they said I could share it with you. The poem is entitled Letting Go. And it goes like this. We pen the words to set them free, forgiving them, forgiving me. Lifted high above the tree, letting go our fear to thee. As this, these folks came together, they, they released balloons that flew up into the sky. A, sil a silver circle, a bright blue star to carry our scars of pain afar. Our heads bowed down and full of hope. Our lives take hold. We try to cope. You pinned the words to set us free. That is, God, you told us to forgive others. Forgiving them, forgiving me. Lifted high upon the tree, letting go his life to thee. A circle of thorns upon your star. You carried our pains and sins afar. Our hearts bowed down and full of hope. We believe your truth, our lives devote. I hope that though my sermon series is done, the work of forgiveness will continue. It is worth it. And let me say this. I haven't said it a lot, but I, I know I've heard in the counseling office this many times. You need to understand that, that God means for you to forgive yourself for you to accept his forgiveness. I, I think it's hard to forgive others if we haven't forgiven ourselves. And so maybe that needs to be a part of your process too. You accept his forgiveness yourself. And then you work on forgiving others. God will help you in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to come together today. I know these words aren't easy to hear to love our enemies, to go the extra mile. But Father, it is, it is your truth and it is your truth that can set us free. Just as you brought an end to the hostilities between us and you through Jesus, we can be forgiven in him. <clears throat> so also, Father, you can bring for us a love for others who hurt us, who others who anger us, you can bring forgiveness. Father, I pray today that you'll help us in applying these words. You'll help us in Jesus' name. Amen.